ready to sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth? Let's gnaw on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. Of course, we see Jesus cut off from God for us. At, uh, at the cross in the middle of the afternoon, it became dark. Right. Uh, darkness descended on the land. And of course, the Bible, all through the Bible, we, we hear God talk about darkness and light. So, um, Dr. Sproul referred to this as possibly it might have been like an, uh, an eclipse. Um, how did it, of course, you don't know exactly how it did, but uh, what would be your opinion? How do you think it became dark? And what was the significance of, of the darkness? Well, uh, yeah, that's that's a subject that's, that's open for great, uh, great debate. How did it become dark for three hours in the middle of the day? In the movie, uh, and it's not quite precise, uh, Ben-Hur, the original Ben-Hur with Charlton Heston, which was the best movie, Right. Uh, there's a big thunderstorm that comes up as he dies. And that's where, how it gets that's dark. Nice. Yeah, that's how it gets dark. That's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a sudden thunderstorm. You know, if you remember, when the people asked for a king, and before Samuel gives them Saul, he says, now this, what you're asking, the Lord's going to do it, but what you're asking is wicked. And so the Lord's going to give you a sign. He's going to let it rain at a time when it's not supposed to rain. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he sent a, he sent a storm. So it is possible that God sent this kind of storm that was so thick, so deep, so dark, and the people would have a biblical context in which to put that. But say all of that is speculation. Mm-hmm. It could have been an eclipse uh, but uh, it would have to be a significant equi- eclipse to last for three hours. Most eclipses just last a few moments. Right. Uh, you have to you have to say now. What do we mean by dark? Do we mean dark as in the pitch dark of night, or do we mean the kind of of the darkness that you have from a, a storm? Uh, the kind of darkness that is just before before daylight. You know where it's dark, and then all of a sudden it's light, and there's a infinite number of ways that that, uh, that God might have done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's more important is that it did symbolize God's displeasure uh, in that in in the requirement of Christ's death. Uh, it did symbolize his displeasure with the people who did this. It symbolizes the great uh, event that's transpiring at that exact moment. It's a warning to all the people who just thought he's nobody special. He's just a, a rebel and another guy that that would be one of the ways they would they would think about uh, mm-hmm. about bring, that. Brings them on the centurion that was right that was there and says, "Surely this is the, the this, son. Of, right, son this of was God. a righteous man. This mm-hmm. was the son of God." Yeah. So whatever whatever caused it, uh, you know. So let me let me just make this observation. I think sometimes people are more focused, and I'm not accusing Dr. Sproul of this. He's doing what people say, well, what caused the darkness? He's trying to supply a possible answer for the what, for what caused the darkness. Right. I, I think sometimes that we get 
that we can get too focused on the explanation of why, or how, rather, how it was dark instead of why it was dark. And it was dark because Christ was dying for our sins. Right. And that's that's all we need to know. We don't if we believe in a God who can do anything, then how he did it is not important. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is that he did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Christ was quote unquote alone in the darkness. And the people recognized the horror of what was happening here. Right. If you go back and you read Genesis one one. And uh, you realize that making it dark for three hours is no problem. No, for, no, for not, God. not not for God at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, I, I want to also point out how how we we have become. And there's a there's an element of this. Okay, I'm not disputing it. In telling a story, in recounting the death of Christ, we want to be as Explicit as possible, but it is also possible to become theatrical. And in theatrics, you add what is unnecessary. That's just part of it, Mm -hmm. okay? Uh, If you watch a movie, it'll say this is a dramatization of this event. The event didn't happen just like that. We're dressing it up a little bit. And I'm afraid we do that with with the death of Christ. We try to add all these spicy elements to make the story better, but the story can't be made any can't better. Be made any better. It, it is Christ dying for my sins. That's all I need to know. Mm-hmm. And I do think it is it's part of our uh, failing in the American church of trying to fill in blanks that don't need to be filled in. Exactly. I'm a sinner. This is the only way Christ could die for me. End of story. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of leave it at that. Dr. Sproul goes on, he says, Jesus screamed in agony is the way he he puts it uh my god my god why have you forsaken me uh which of course is matthew uh chapter 27 verse 20 46 um he goes on to say albert schweitzer concluded that jesus died in delusion that that uh he didn't actually i think he was he said some liberal See, uh, theologians say that Jesus felt forsaken, but he wasn't actually uh, forsaken. I don't know how they can come to that conclusion. Uh, maybe you could help me with with that. But it's a complex question, and the reason it's complex is because Jesus is one with the Father. Right. So how does one member of God become abandoned by the person he is okay yeah. uh, so th- so there is there is that question of, of Jesus could never cease being God how could he be totally separated from God okay that's a question that, that I think is fair and we have to ask it right but that does not mean and here's the here's the flip side that does not mean that he did not experience what uh, any man would experience in separation from God, okay? Because he is God and man. So, again, we get into the two natures of Christ and the difficulty of that. As the man, he could certainly know what it was like to feel abandoned by God. It is not possible that he was actually, as God, abandoned by God, okay? You see right. the complexity of that? Mm-hmm. And again, the point is, 
and and some of that is good theological discussion and debate, and some of it, again, is trying to fill in the blanks. What we know is Christ died for our sins, and he experienced something. Um, He experienced something, and we we would infer that he experienced the same kind of anguish that David experienced when he said, Oh my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. And in other places at the cross, boy, you can see the, this just the wealth that just can flow up out of the story. It, from other places at the cross, the people heard him cry out, mm-hmm. which would suggest that, his, that he did cry out, Oh God, why have you forsaken me? In the anguish of the moment. But if that cry was uttered, it was uttered as Christ the man, or Jesus the man, okay, because, again, you cannot separate God from God. Right. This is that that whole difficulty of, uh, and the, the wonder and complexity of it for myself argues against the idea all this was made up. How do you, how does anybody make up something like that, that you have this God who's three persons, but he's only one God, and and yet one of those persons, without being separated from the other two, came to earth as a man, and this man had two natures. He had a divine nature and a human nature. You see that? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and you can't find that anywhere in any of the of the religions or, or that 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 have both the complexity of, of the divine and yet the simplicity of the human because people saw him, they touched him, they walked with him, they right. slept with him, mm-hmm. they ate with him, mm-hmm. they heard him talk, they heard him laugh, they saw him cry. Uh, this is a this this is unparalleled in the in the world of quote unquote religion. It's unparalleled. It is. There's nothing like it. And for me that that argues uh, uh, for that. So I'm sorry I rambled off there. Oh, well, that's all right. That's- but, yeah, that's a that's a tough question. That is an extremely tough question. I, I think kind of uh, we'll get into it a little bit. Uh, Doctor Sproul gets into he starts talking about the Old Testament uh, sign of the covenant was circumcision being cut off. Um, so I think he he believes, and we'll take a look at it a little bit closer. But at the time. At this particular time on the cross with the darkness that we were talking about a, a blessing is being in God's presence right. and a curse is being out of uh, God's presence in the darkness. Right. Um, so I think he's, he's kind of saying at that time, and I've heard this before, I've heard other uh, uh, preachers say this, other pastors say this, that at that particular time, God turned his back because he couldn't look. Uh, God cannot, he's holy. He cannot look at sin. And when that sin was being placed on uh, his son, that he turned his back. Now, do you agree with that sort of uh, okay, so that's, explanation, I guess? Okay, so I don't want to pit myself against Dr. Sproul. Uh, right. But I will say, there is a passage, and I think this is another one of those passages that has been misused. Uh, in the book of Habakkuk, I believe it is, the prophet says, your, your eyes are too holy to look upon sin. Mm-hmm. 
But if that was true, God couldn't look at any of us. Right. He couldn't have looked at Adam and Eve in the garden when he comes down and says, so yes, the, but the point is that sin is ugly. Again, it's one of those passages, and I'm, I'm very cautious with this, because you never want to get in the habit of, of, of suggesting, well, this, this passage isn't been meant to be taken that way. But there are some like that. Mm-hmm. And for me, this is one of them. God constantly interacts with sinful people. If he couldn't actually look at them, he couldn't interact with any of them. Right. He'd have to kill them, and that would be the end of it. And of course, God is all-seeing. He's all-seeing. He's, and he's all-knowing. He's all-knowing. And uh, David says in the, in the book of Psalms, where can I flee from your presence? Mm-hmm. So that God fills the universe, therefore he is always, quote-unquote, since Adam and Eve sinned, since the devil sinned, he is in the presence of sin. Okay, he's working to eradicate it from his universe and from his from his creation, no matter how extensive that is. So I don't think it's accurate to say that God cannot look upon sin because he looks upon sin every day. He says he says to Abraham, "I've come down to look upon." Sodom and see if it's as bad as I've heard. That's a metaphor, but he already knows how bad it is. He's God. Okay, so when you get that, uh, you have to recognize that that concept. Again, I would argue, and hopefully, and and what I would say is, as you know, I, I'm a I read constantly so that I'm always leaving the door open for further instruction on this point. And later, I may read something and it'll clarify my thoughts on that. But looking at the fact that God cannot, that there is no place men can go without being in God's presence, that God is always in, exposed, looking upon, aware of human sin. Right. Okay. So when you lay all the sins on Christ, is it in any way possible that God could actually look away from that sin. See, that to me, and I may be thinking completely wrong here, but I I think, again, the point is that Christ bore our sins, and as a man, he cries out in the anguish of what any man would feel when the man is separated from God. Right. But Christ himself, in his purity and his holiness and his sinlessness and his divinity there would be no reason for God to look away from Christ the Son and you can see how complex yeah. and difficult it is sometimes that's good stuff oh it's that good it's, really it's, it's heavy but but that's what I'm saying about we're just guilty sometimes of, of not at least not acknowledging the complexity of it which to me brings the the majesty of God to so much more into the moment because we, we are we don't have this nice little neat little bang 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 it's and you see this God in, in a such a, a greater enormous fashion that that he isn't it's not just ABC and I would even go further is a little bit further with in saying how that imp, the implications of that or the idea that salvation is pray this prayer, you're saved, go on, live your life. Mm-hmm. That's just so wrong. 
and it's it trivializes God in my opinion. Yeah, it does. Well, you know, getting back to to God, uh, we can't hide from God. I heard that from a good pastor too. You can't hide from God because what is the first thing that Adam and Eve did? They tried to hide from God, and of course, <laughs> that's impossible. Right, uh, and it's a, and it's an important point there. He doesn't cry out. Adam would argue because he's lacking information. Mm-hmm. He cries out to get Adam to own up to what he did. Mm-hmm. You know, already, he already knows what Adam did. He does the same thing with Cain. Where's your brother? Right. And and and, and Cain says, "Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he's at." Yeah, he but, knew exactly where yeah. he is. <laughs> God doesn't. Um, God's not asking for information. He's asking for uh, to challenge us about what we think we know. Mm-hmm. And and to show us how impossible it is to hide things from God. Well, perhaps uh, I don't know. I'm no theologian. I'm far from it. But I love to study the Word of God. But uh, talking about that, maybe the darkness wasn't for God's benefit; it's for our benefit, right? Um, and and to show us that you know when this sin was placed upon the Son, there was darkness. They got there, so it's for our benefit right. to see. Um, that's that's just a poss- possibility. Well, no, you're, it's great. It's great observation, though. It is possible that it was a, it was it symbolized the darkness that we would all in, inherit mm. if we do not make Christ. Excuse that phrase. Uh, if we do not acknowledge and surrender to Christ's lordship. Mm-hmm. This is the this is our uh, our consequence darkness, darkness. And, and there were, uh, of course, Gentiles were there. Uh, there were Jews that recognized a lot of signs uh, uh, that were being fulfilled at the cross. But there were Gentiles there, the Roman centurion again, uh, looking and seeing all the events. So uh, God uses right. uh, all creation to to uh, reveal Himself. Right. And, and and recognize another person there, the thief on the cross. Yes, because Jesus says, uh, uh, "You will be with me today in paradise." And Christ dies before the thief, mm-hmm. so the darkness. All, he would have witnessed all that himself mm-hmm. and been further uh, confirmed in his faith that he has expressed in Christ. Wow, incredible! It's just unbelievable. It See, that's the stuff we you not you and I talk about a lot. The layers. And layers and layers. When you when you get into a discussion of the word, the layers, and you don't have to go off on some kind of crazy, no. you know, just just unpack the practical aspects of what's happening in that scene, and that's where I get uh, so uh, grieved for people that say, oh, "I've heard it all. I've been in church all my life." Well, I don't know where they heard it all, but I wish I. Could be like that. <laughs> I think uh, we'll be spending all eternity oh, learning absolutely about God. We'll never fully know Him. No. I don't think. No. Which bring uh, brought to mind me. Many people died on the cross. Um, Jesus wasn't the only one to die on the cross. There were many people. Of course, a lot of Christians after uh, Christ died on the cross. Some upside down. Uh, why was Jesus's death different? It was different because of who he was. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think we've been talking yeah. about this all, all day. But. Yeah, it's so great. And I hope there's a whole bunch of people out there looking right now saying, "Well, they're a bunch of idiots if they don't know that." That's right. Because it's so foundational. So so foundational. The reason is 
his crucifixion was different was because of who he was. You know, uh-huh. with all, everybody else was just people. He was God in yeah. flesh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jesus cried out, "It is finished." What was what was over? Okay. Was well, you know, that's another that's, one. That's another one. <laughs> that's another podcast. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, but uh, ultimately and fundamentally, the work of redemption was accomplished mm-hmm. in respect to the payment of of our sins. The work of redemption, as it relates to my growth, my coming to Christ, my growth in Christ, my transformation by the Spirit, my my ministry, my service, none of that was finished. Mm-hmm. But the price of my redemption, my ransom, has been paid. Right. I have been transferred from the light kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son and that's what was finished at at the cross the battle against Satan and the battle against the flesh were not finished but the assurance that I would win those battles was paid for and that's what was finished praise the Lord I mean that's a condensed version but man let's go on um, this is a good stuff good stuff the charges against us nailed to the cross. Um, in the atonement, Christ was the scapegoat who carried our sins away. And he said that's expiation. Uh, pronounce that correct? Right. Uh, he carried it into outer darkness. He is the victor over the forces of evil, over the principalities and powers. He fulfilled the terms of the Old Testament curse. He set the captives free. So in payment, in satisfying the debt, that's, uh, what is that called? That's called a uh, propitiation. There you go. I'll let you pronounce that one. Because I always stumble over that word. Um, page 77, and it goes to 78. You want to read Colossians 2, verses 11 through 15? Sure. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out all the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Publical. I Publical. had to put my word, two words together there. <laughs> well, that's that's good. typical. Well, typical. 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 Yeah, that's... <laughs> Uh, you're a poet and don't know it right Um, Dr. Sproul said uh, that this speaks of the union between the believer and Christ Uh, how are we united in Christ in Christ yeah it's it's uh, it's we are uh, united in in the sense of his death um you know, Scripture, again, using different metaphors. So we're brothers and sisters now with right. Christ. Mm-hmm. He's our elder brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. But in that concept of union, it is 
again, dealing with the issue of our salvation, we are in Christ. Our salvation is made possible by our union with Christ. Uh, our belief does more than just, the way I always describe it, it does more than take our name off the go-to-hell list and put it on the go-to-heaven list. We are united in his death and in his resurrection, which means that we are safe in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not me standing on my own. It is me standing in the shadow, if you will, of his work. Uh, in Colossians, that was chapter 2, was it? Uh, yeah, chapter 2. Okay, so chapter 3, verse 1 says, Your life, uh, you know, if you've been risen with Christ, seek the things above. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say, Your life is hid with Christ in God. We are with, we are united with him, and in that respect are safe in him. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the key about being being in Christ, you know. So united with Christ, we should walk as Christ. Or what is it? First, uh, uh, First John, he talks about Christ as Christ is in the light. Walk in the, in light. the light, right? Um, and it, and I, also, I, interesting. Go ahead. I, well, I was going to say I, I read that verse there, and I had never picked up on that myself. We talk about this all the time, but. Uh, uh, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I never thought about the death of Christ as as a as as uh, or, or rather circumcision of the flesh symbolizing the death of Christ. Mm-hmm. But a while ago, you said it was a covenant of blood. Mm-hmm. The circumcision was a covenant of blood. It was a painful covenant in that culture because you didn't have all this stuff we have today for pain really. Right. Uh, it had to be really yeah. So 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 Christ's death was a uh was a, a symbol of our being uh cut off from the world and joined to him. Uh, that so we are circumcised with him just and just as baptism talks about being buried with him and being raised with him. Uh, it joins us. It, we we have that union. So it looks back again. It looks back to the Old Testament, coming into the New Testament. It's all the same. It's right. all the old the Old Testament and the New Testament is one testament. Right. Um, there's nothing old or new about it. It's all one. Uh, it, it speaks of having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. What? What is the handwriting that uh, uh, it's speaking of, and how was it wiped out? Well, the handwriting was, the, again, our, our the infractions against the law. Mm-hmm. The law was said, you must do this, and each time we didn't do it, again, using a metaphor, uh, the Bible does speak in the book of Revelations, you know, about the, the other books were open, and we believe we'll give an account for everything we've ever done. Of course, right. a sovereign, internal, infinite God does not need to actually write things down to remember them. Mm-hmm. But but it's using that metaphor. Each time you and I failed to uh, obey the law, it was an infraction that, quote-unquote, was written up against us. Mm-hmm. And each time it was written up is just that much more. Our sentence of death was becoming stronger and stronger. And when Christ died, the handwriting against those who have come to him in faith is 
it's a clean slate. It's washed clean because of his work at, at, the, at the cross. Mm-hmm. If, if we come, and this is why Paul and James, James says the same thing. You break one part of the law, you've broken it all. Right. Paul says the, 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 that, that whole same concept, no one can be justified by the works of the law because you cannot possibly do all the works of the law all the time perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it's that that's been written against us. We're guilty. And now when we put our faith in Christ, it's wiped out because of his blood. And we are new creatures, new creations in Christ. And what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Made new. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Yeah, exactly. All things become new. All the slate is wiped clean. and. And that's just incredible. Yeah, it is. Uh, Dr. Sproul talks about it. And of course, the, for Jesus, they wrote a placard out and nailed it to the top of the cross, over top of Christ. Uh, and upon that, I believe it read, this is the king of the Jews. Right. And it was written, I believe, in uh, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Uh but he says in the ancient world, that's what they would do. They would post if if a criminal was charged with a crime, they would they would uh, write that down, and then they would nail it to a like a bulletin board or or on a post, I guess, somewhere where people could read it. Right. And also, if people owed a debt, um, you know, and then when the debt was paid, they would also. Uh, Put that, and I guess I wondered when I read this part. They nailed it, you know, somewhere where we could read it. I wonder what if that's where we get the word "post." Uh, now we post on Facebook and right. we post on the internet uh, things. So right. and we have post-it notes. Right. Uh, I wonder if that comes from being nailed. Yeah, that that's, that probably derives from the same concepts. Yeah, but. Uh, but you know, it's like if you've ever paid off a car, mm-hmm. you get the you get the title back, and it says paid in full. That's right, satisfied that lien released, debt debt released. That's the concept of you know he he took you can you can argue wiped out or he just puts on earth paid with the blood of Christ. Right. Bang, same metaphor, different metaphor, the same principle. Our debt. Of sin is satisfied in Christ. Right. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, it was paid in full. Paid in full. Paid in full. It, uh, it gives us a picture. And some people can probably relate to one picture better than they can another picture. So, you know, exactly because God's, you said we, uh, Christ is our elder brother. We're brothers and sisters with Christ. Well, how can we be his bride, right. his brother, and sister. So it's it's kind of like the Gospels where you look at it from different perspectives, different, perspectives, and different right. illustrations, I guess, and different uh, pictures. Right. Um, that convey the same central truth that now through Christ we are united to the Father mm-hmm. and we are accepted in his sight and we are his children and we shall serve him eternally uh that's that's the thing i think a lot of times we just i think we again we we get caught up on the phrases and metaphors and you you miss the miss the main point you mean, which is the cross 
cross. Right. And we've been focusing on the cross. Right. And, and what God did. Let's let's take another very popular image uh, that's utilized in the uh, end time debates about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay. And the belief that we are, and you've seen pictures of this, uh, we're having a big supper, you know. But do you realize how long the table would be for 10 billion people to sit down and have dinner? Uh, that's a big table. Yeah, so it's a metaphor. It, it, we're not supposed to take everything in precise human terms. Mm-hmm. The marriage supper of the Lamb was a time of celebration. The, the, the marriage supper was a time of celebration that A, had met and was marrying and committing to B, mm-hmm. and B, the woman would always be under the care and provision and protection of A. Right. That's the that's the point. Not that we're actually going to sit down at a big table and and where everybody in, in the kingdom of God from the time of Adam and Eve till whenever the Lord comes again will be in eyesight with each other. Especially if you're talking about the new earth. If the new earth, and everything we read in the Bible about the new earth suggests it's very much like this earth, only there's no sin. You know, there's no sickness, there's no floods and hurricanes and and things of that nature, uh, which will, it's a discussion in itself about the beauty of that coming world. The point is that we will be united with God forever. And we will always be under his care and protection. Mm-hmm. He will interact with us in a personal, in a personal dynamic as he does now through his spirit. There he will do it more face to face, though that's that's a complex phrase in itself because God is not a man. He does not technically have what we call a face. You know, it's all figures of speech to describe our our time with this God who goes beyond human perception. Right. And that's uh, that shows the importance of when we study and read the Bible that we need to look at it and kind of like in that perspective, perspective, we need to know who the particular book was written to. Right. And how would they have understood it? Because right. that gives us a better perspective in how we should look right. at it. Right. Um, and that, and that again, is it, again goes back to the whole comprehensive concept of Scripture. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives three different uh, scenarios of his coming. Mm-hmm. One is a master coming to reward his servants. One is a bridegroom coming to get his bride. Right. One is a king separating the good servants from the bad servants. Mm-hmm. They're all describing the same thing, but they're just bringing out different facets so that human beings can understand mm-hmm. what what that, using our language, to what that's going to be like. Incredible. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. That, that uh, he would go to all that trouble to, to do that. And what Christ did on, at the cross, uh, to me, what a what a show of love! What love! Uh, there's a song like that. What love the Father has for us is right. more than I can answer. Right. Um, I'm gonna have to look that. That's another one of the songs we it. sing. We sing it here. I can remember too. You know how great the Father's love for us. Yes. 
Well, what a blessing this yeah, this uh, is a good one. has been a long conversation, but uh, a good one. Yeah, but, yeah. But, Pastor, thank you very thank much. Thank you, my friend. God bless God you. God bless you. You have a great day. Okay, you too. Bibles, Bulldogs, and Beards was brought to you by BibleBulldog.com. Purveyors of antiquarian Bibles, theology books, and other Christian items. Also enjoy hundreds of podcasts and sermons while you visit BibleBulldog.com. Visit BibleBulldog.com today.